0: What Jesus said to his disciples, he says to us, stay alert. We're celebrating this morning the first Sunday of Advent, and Advent is a season of watching and waiting, preparing for the celebration of the birth of Jesus, the the Savior of the world, Emmanuel, God with us, the Messiah, the King of Kings, who was promised throughout the scriptures to reconcile humanity to God and to one another, who would proclaim to the world good news for the poor, freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, lifting up of the oppressed, and a time of God's favor that has begun. The birth of Jesus is the defining moment in all of human history. It is the fixed point in which one era has ended and a new era has begun. So important to the history of the world is Jesus' birth that the years are measured as before Jesus' birth and after Jesus' birth. Now, the secular world has changed the letters as if that changed the meaning of it, but Jesus' birth is that fixed moment. Where the world changed forever. So it feels a bit strange to kick off this season of preparing to celebrate the beginning with a passage of scripture that talks about the end. But it is actually very appropriate because you cannot understand the beginning without also understanding the end. Jesus' birth is not a solitary or isolated event, but a critical plot point in the narrative of God's activity across human history. That God created humanity for God's glory and for relationship. This God who suffered from our rebellion as humanity chose and continues to choose to be God's over our own lives. And at a critical inflection point, God enters the world to redeem the world, to rescue humanity from sin, and to restore the world under the reign of Christ. The baby that we stand over and marvel at in the manger, we will one day sit under and marvel at and worship as we sit under his throne of grace. Not only does the end help us understand the beginning, but it also frames for us the in-between. What does it mean to live as a people who wait and watch for the fulfillment of all that God has promised? What does it look like to live with the end in mind? So the dialogue in our gospel reading takes place in the days leading up to Jesus's crucifixion and his death. He had been teaching in the temple, frustrating religious leaders and empowering common folks. And as he and his disciples are leaving for the day, the disciples are marveling, but they're not marveling at anything that Jesus said or did. They're marveling at the beautiful architecture of the temple. Kind of missing the point. It reminds me uh, a few years ago, Laura and I went on a a tour of the holy sites uh, in Israel on on a Holy Land trip. Uh, And and it's interesting because every place that either history or tradition says something special happened, somebody built a church like right on that spot. And that includes the the Church of of the the Nativity, which is, is pictured right here. That's the worship space Uh, in one of the worship spaces in the Church of the Nativity that's built on top of where tradition tells us that Jesus was born. And it is beautiful. And it is ornate. And it is an amazing spot. But all that beauty and, and ornateness seems to miss the point of what was believed to have happened just below it. Jesus responds to the disciples, marveling with some reality. He says in verse 2, Do you see these enormous buildings? Not even one stone will be left on another. All of it will be demolished. Which would have been stunning for his disciples to hear. They, they had believed that the temple would stand forever. And so this idea that the temple would be destroyed. This beautiful building that they were marveling at was destabilizing to them. To them, And so he, they ask him what he's talking about. And he goes on in chapter 13 to describe a variety of hardships that, would, that they would have to bear. And that those who came after them in the faith would also have to bear. But after that time had happened, as the world was devolving into chaos, Jesus promises to return in glory and in splendor, to fulfill everything that God had promised. What Jesus is trying to do here is to give them something to cling to, something to hope in when their lives turned out differently than they had imagined or planned or hoped for that in their mind that they would begin to imagine what the end would look like so that they could live with the end in mind. In Jesus' day, Emmanuel, God with us, the Messiah, the Savior King, it was believed that this person would manifest as a political and military leader who would throw off the yoke of Roman oppression and make Israel great again. And the disciples bought in to this belief and this mindset and and they saw themselves as Jesus' followers as on the fast track to a prime position in the kingdom of heaven. It's why periodically through the gospels there's fights uh, about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It's why James and John's mother tries to arrange for them to get to sit at Jesus' right hand and his left hand when the kingdom would come. It's why the parables were so confusing because they confounded this expectation that the disciples were emotionally attached to of what the world would look like with Jesus on the throne and them being his closest followers. It's like when someone tells you something's going to happen that you don't want to happen. You're predisposed to dismiss it, to just not believe that it's going to happen because it flies in the face of a future that you are emotionally attached to. It's what's called denial. And even when the, all the evidence points to that thing happening, it's hard to hear and hard to believe because you don't want to believe it. Jesus' explanation of the coming future Begs the question of when. When is this going to happen? And and Jesus says nobody really knows. But he paints a picture of a wealthy household whose owner goes away and empowers his his staff to take care of everything. And they don't know when the when this guy's gonna come back. And so they position themselves and prepare themselves to stay ready, to not let the owner return and find them sleeping. And Jesus says in verse 37, What I say to you, I say to all. Stay alert. In other words, just as the workers were to stay alert for the the owner to return, you and I are to stay alert for the return of Jesus, for the end of the age, for the restoration of creation, for the rescue of humanity. Now, one of the, the ways these words of Jesus are misunderstood. Is in thinking that Jesus' return is something to be feared. As though it's this like divine gotcha moment. Like Jesus is up in heaven and he's watching us and he's waiting for that exact moment when we least expect it, when we're the least prepared. And then he's going to show up and say, hey guys, what's going on? That's not what the return of Jesus is intended to provoke. The return of Jesus is not something to be feared, but it's intended to inspire hope because it signifies the end of suffering and violence and injustice and sin and death that has characterized the world for basically all of human history. Jesus says in verse 30, I assure you that this generation won't pass away until all these things happen. And he's not talking about generations from a birth year standpoint, but from the standpoint of a period of time defined by human brokenness and that that time period will continue until he returns. And I don't know about you, But while there is a lot in the world that I am grateful for, that I give thanks to God for, there's also a lot in the world that I'm sick and tired of. I'm sick and tired of racism. I'm sick and tired of injustice. I'm sick and tired of political partisanship. I'm sick and tired of war. I'm sick and tired of economic injustice. I'm sick and tired of consumerism and hyper busyness. I'm sick and tired of the first world problems that we spent the last six weeks talking about. And I'd love for stress and comparison and grief and loneliness and anxiety and entitlement to just go away. I'm sick and tired of all of the, that stuff. And I'd love for it all to just magically go away. But Jesus tells me that it's not at least not until he comes back. The language that Jesus uses in the parables is intended to be hyperbolic. That as we wait for that day, as we hope for that day where Jesus returns to take care of it all, he doesn't intend for us as individuals to live in this constant and unsustainable state of readiness. And he does not intend for us to live in fear that we're not doing the right thing. Staying alert means living with the end in mind. It means being honest about the way the world is and holding on to the hope that we have in Jesus that it will not always be this way. That there will be a day when God restores creation, rescues humanity, brings everything under the reign of Christ as it always was intended to be. And Jesus is the only one who can make that happen. And so the best move for you and for I is to cling to Jesus and to cling to that hope. And in this in-between time where we wait for this day. You and I have jobs to do. We have roles to play. We have vocations to live out. And in Lutheran theology, the word vocation doesn't refer to a job that you draw a paycheck from. It refers to all the different places in your life that Jesus sends you into the world to serve others for their good and for God's glory in the name of Christ. And so as an individual, I have several vocations. I am a husband. I am a father. I am a son. I am a pastor. I am a leader. I am a coworker. I am a boss. I am a neighbor. I am a friend. And in every one of those roles, God sends me into those places to die to myself, to not do those things the way that I would want them or I would prefer or what brings me the most comfort, but to do them in the way that Jesus intends because it's part of a larger plan of bringing about the kingdom that he has promised. And I hope that God will accomplish in me and through me everything that God Intense. i stay alert by looking by listening by responding to what i think god is telling me but i also don't do it alone in the parable the household was re- was able to stay alert and ready because everyone was working together they weren't all on the clock 24 hours a day seven days a week each one had their own job Each one had a role to play. Each one had a vocation. And in in combining together and in doing that, they were able to stay alert. And the same is, is true about us as well as a congregation, as a family of faith. We are called to together live with the end in mind. Being and becoming a place where those disconnected from church and faith, can receive healing and wholeness from the brokenness of their lives and the world and join us in living in that hope that together we live with the end in mind. In Advent, we're not merely planning for a cute little baby to be born in a manger, but we're planning for the restoration of the world for the rescue of humanity and for living under the reign of Jesus when that baby returns full grown. Now, while it's easier to think of Advent as a a time to get ready to replay the birth of Jesus than it is to think of the sky opening up and a, a decidedly older Jesus showing up on a white horse, both truths are necessary to follow Jesus in this in-between time that we find ourselves in. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's going on in the world, may the hope available to you in Jesus free you from being overwhelmed by circumstance and give you the courage to take one more step closer in the direction of the inevitable conclusion of history, the restoration of creation, the rescue of humanity, the reign of Jesus. May this Advent season invite you to enter with the hope needed to live with the end in mind. Would you rise and pray with me? Lord, it's so easy to look at our lives and to look at the world and and what we see going on that we're sick and tired of, that's exhausting, that's draining, that's painful. The ways in which we we suffer, the ways in which we see others suffer, it's easy to look at all of that and, and believe that it's always going to be that way. But you promise that there will be an end to that. And there will be a new beginning. And it's your return that brings to an end a generation of human brokenness. And in the meantime, you call us to go out into the world to be agents of transformation, to bring the kingdom to bear on a world that does not yet live under it. And so, Lord, cast a vision for each of us as individuals for what it means to stay awake in our vocations. Cast a vision for us as a congregation, as a church, as a family of faith, to stay awake together. That we might see your kingdom break in within us and through us and into the world beyond us. We ask all of this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.